Welcome to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, presented by the Institute for Biblical Worship at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's right, I said the Doxology and Theology Podcast, a podcast for worship leaders who know that the gospel is so good, it has to be sung. I'm your host, Matthew Westerholm, Associate Professor of Church Music and Worship at Southern Seminary and the Executive Director of the Institute for Biblical Worship. On today's episode, we are dipping into our worship resources to bring you a clip by Mr. Keith Getty. Keith Getty is not only one of the preeminent hymn writers in the church today, but also an advocate for congregational singing in Christian churches around the world. In this clip taken from a 2006 event here at Southern Seminary for the Institute for Biblical Worship, Keith discusses the relationship between commercialism and corporate worship. the history of the, the church, and, and even in the Western English church up until the last 50 years, if you were a Christian, and certainly a Bible-believing Christian, what you sang in church fell into one of three categories. Um, I've just invented these categories, so they may not be the technical ones, but they are all-encompassing. Um, the first one is what I would call psalms or psalms and scripture is what you sang in church. Um, it gave you a overall, you usually sang, in fact, in almost all cases, you sang through the whole psalmody at least once a year, if not twice or three times. And in some cases, you also sang scripture as well and learned scripture through what you sang. The second group is what I would call the liturgical churches, where you sang a, a, a liturgy that was originally, originally Jewish and then through the, the history of the church and through the Catholic and Orthodox churches and was then adapted by the reformers and the Puritans, and became the, the, the modern liturgy for today. Almost, all, almost exclusively based on Scripture. Um, a little bit more logical than, than just going through the Psalms, in that it gives you a worship service, or a communion service, or a prayer service, or a marriage service. takes us logically through a service. It, it, it opens us up praising God. We repent. We have thanksgiving. We have prayers for the world. We have, we have prayers for the preaching of the Word. We have the preaching of the Word. We have prayers for each other, of, of, for change and renewal, we have prayers for the world, and we have music that fits around those themes. The third category is what I'm going to call, which is probably what most of you are from, is what I'm going to call for now, comprehensive hymnody. And that is hymnody which takes us through, um, takes us through the various characteristics of God, if you take any old hymn book. Um, um, Moody and Sankey, at the turn of the century, began to change it slightly with the advent of the gospel song, but by and large, um, by and large, we had a hymnody which um, looked at all the various characters of, uh, characteristics of God that are revealed in the Bible in the opening section of praise. It had music of repentance. It had music of thanksgiving. It had hymns. It had particular scriptural hymns. It had Christ's life and ministry, birth, death, resurrection, ascension. And the average church would know about 200 of those songs and use those and that is what the history of the church was, certainly until 1970, 80, 90, or 2000, depending where you are. Um, the advent of worship music has brought many exciting things. It has brought a renewed interest in creativity. 
It has brought a renewed relevance to the church. It has, in some cases, joined the dots between uh, the, the cerebral and the emotional, between the theory and the practice, between doctrine and how it relates to everyday, our everyday walks. Um, but by and large, the worship movement, when analyzed against those three categories, has reduced our worship diet to 5 to 10% of the characteristics of God. It rarely, it rarely, in fact, in 95% of cases, doesn't ever explain doctrine at any level. It uses very little passages of Scripture. In fact, even when it comes to Psalms, it only uses the happy Psalms, and in some Psalms, only uses the happy verses. And so it has left us, it has left us with a very curious situation. Um, I believe the preaching of the word is the primary people learn their faith, but I also believe that what we sing, first of all, if we're singing to the God of the universe and the God who has created and saved us, I believe we should be singing something which is more appropriate than singing about 5% of his character. I know my beautiful wife would not appreciate me only ever telling her that she sings nicely. Um, she would appreciate a few other compliments along the way as well. And I think there's an appropriateness that we have to when singing to the God of the universe, that we sing to him like they did in the Psalms of his different characteristics. Of what, uh, If you go from Psalm to Psalm, it changes from his anger to his judgment, to his majesty, to his creative beauty, um, to, his, uh, to, his to his redemptive works. And so we want to have a, a breadth of that. But also the, the pragmatic person in each of us and the pastor in each of us that wants to make sure our congregations grow up with correct spiritual formations have to be aware that what people sing affects their spiritual formation. It affects how they think, it puts words in their mouth, it affects how they pray, and ultimately affects how they live. And if we are pastors concerned with the truth, if we believe in, in the, the truths of the Bible and the gospel over, over pure um, indulgent contemporary pragmatism, we have to believe that what we sing needs a little more careful attention. Just to continue the bad news, um, one of the, um, as I look to the future, I, 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 the last year we spent, until I was 30, I was a professional musician, of which hymn writing was one of a bunch of things I did, um, medium to badly well. And when I turned 30, I moved into hymn writing. And over the last 15 months, as I have looked at society and, and talked with people who are wiser than I, I become increasingly aware that church trends in the mainstream church and the mainstream evangelical church in America and Britain are not going in a direction that is making, that is making a godly, biblical, spiritual, deep, edifying praise, a canon of worship more likely. It's quite the opposite. Hope that sentence made sense. Um, secondly, um, culture itself, as, as you will come up against, as you as you begin to preach more and, and, uh, and teach the Bible, culture is becoming dumbed down, much more soundbite orientated, um, pushing into sort of shorter periods of time. That goes against hymns with lots of verses. Um, I was told several times as I was writing hymns by very wise people that I was really off my rocker. That, you know, I had just, I had finally flipped out. Do you know what I mean? You are nuts. Do you know what I mean? And they give me a thousand reasons why it wouldn't work. And I'm beginning to see now why they think it won't work. The third thing I would say is um, the, the commercial parachurch 
influence of the Christian church today, and in particular the Christian music and book industry, which is over 90% of the time in America um, owned by commercial conglomerate enterprises, um, is not going to make its primary concern um, the truths of the Bible and the full edification of its church. Um, whether that's good or bad, I'm not even going to comment on, but it's just fact. Um, um, what I actually, if I see somebody, if I, if, I am, if I know a Christian man who's trying to feed his family and works for a Christian company which is owned by AMI or Warner or whoever else, Warner Brothers, whoever else, um, I understand that they, in their job, to feed their family and get to Christmas this year, have to put out the most commercially profitable thing. So that does mean that certain authors, certain music um, is, is pushed more than others. Um, and I think that's sad. What I think is much sadder and what I think makes us such important partners in what we do is the church as I see it itself and the evangelical church and the conservative evangelical church to a wide degree, and this is generalization, so please understand I say this with the greatest and most genuine concern. The conservative evangelical church has wholesale swallowed the trends of contemporary society. And even churches that will only allow expository teaching and plan their preaching programs two years in advance are quite often singing just a load of nonsense in the first half of their service. Do you know what I mean? Barely, barely even sound theology, um, as you can call it theology. And so it is a huge concern for me as an individual songwriter and you as future leaders of the church that we are aware of what we sing and that we take careful note um, that, that it, it forms part of the spiritual grammar of the people who we serve. Um, and that doesn't mean you use my songs or, or Bob Coughlin's songs or old songs or new songs or Indelible Grace's songs or anything else, but it does mean that we look at the whole thing. Um, I looked at about 20 books on worship. One day my wife wanted to go into a Lifeway store and I picked up, I just went to, I was sort of bored. I didn't want to go and look at all these silly gifts, gifts that she was buying people. So I went to the worship page and um, I saw about 20 different books in worship. And all of them had valuable things to say. But the interesting thing about all of them was they came from a basic point of reason, whether it was whether it was um, to be purpose-driven, whether it was to be seeker-sensitive, whether it was to be advocate a certain type of music, a certain type of programming, a certain type of style, a certain type of evangelism technique, a certain type of leader, a certain type of musician. None of them at any point say, let's start with the content of what we're singing, which as I understand, was the starting point for the entire history of the church up until 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago in each of those three categories. And so I think as church leaders, we have to really take a lead in this. is a hard place to stop, but if you'd like to hear the rest of this message from Keith Getty entitled Irish Hymns, A Singing Faith for the Worshiping Church, go to our website, biblicalworship.com. Click podcast, click around to find the show notes for season one, episode five, and we are happy to share with you the entire thing for free. 
That is what we have for you this time on the Doxology and Theology Podcast. Our show is produced by Evan Jarms, engineered by Mark Norris and Caleb Sherwood, and the music is by our good friends at Murphy DX. Until next time, this is Dr. Matthew Westrom reminding you that the gospel is so good it has to be sung. Peace be with you.